Buenos dias y bienvenidos. Good morning. Welcome once again to Tiempo. I'm Joe Torres. On today's show, we will tell you about a show and a salsa museum in East Harlem. What's there? Well, the museum there, and it sits on a former hardware store. That museum has more than 300 pieces of memorabilia, like a guitar used by Hector Lavoe, a tuxedo, there you go, worn by Tito Puente. The mission there, really simple, to preserve the legacy of the salsa pioneers, and there were many. We'll talk to the founder of the museum. His name is Johnny Cruz. That's coming up in just a few minutes. Right now, though, education, a big topic for us here on Tiempo. The New Jersey Department of Education recently released 2023 statewide assessment scores for all public schools from K through 12 in the Garden State. And the findings show academic excellence for Latino and black students in New Jersey's public charter schools. And in New Jersey's largest city, Newark, charter school students outperformed the statewide average in English language arts. Que bueno. Joining us this morning, Barbara Martinez. She is the executive director of the New Jersey Children's Foundation in Newark. Jen De Silva is a school teacher and North, at North Star Academy in Newark. Great news. I love this. This is fantastic. It's amazing. It's a huge milestone. Um, were you, did you see the scores and were you surprised when they came out? Well, we were waiting for this for okay. some time. Before COVID, uh, Newark charter school students did perform higher than the state average, which okay. is a big deal yes. because New Jersey is one of the best performing states in the country. Mm -hmm. And so when COVID hit, Obviously, it hit everyone. Sure. It hit black and Latino families the worst. Mm -hmm. And so scores went down. And so we've been waiting for this to happen. It finally happened mm -hmm. this year, just a few weeks ago. But you see the scores come in, Jen, and are you... Was it party time? Is it? The, are you running around the hallway? I mean, 100%. As a school leader, we are so proud of the work yes. that our kids are doing, that the work our teachers are putting in day in, day out. We obviously have some growth to make, but this is great progress, yes. and it's very rewarding. Do you? What does a, a report card like this do in terms of motivation across the board for the students, for the teachers and staff, for the parents? You first. Yeah, I mean, for the teachers who have been working so hard, yep. we know how hard it is to be a teacher in America. Mm -hmm. And to be able to look at these results and say, your kids are learning, they're coming back from COVID. This mm -hmm. like shows that we can make up right. what was lost in COVID. It's like really important for kids to mm -hmm. know uh, they're back on track is really important. But motivationally also for the parents it's as well. Showing you what know, we're doing works. Yes. It's working, um, and our families are entrusting us with their most prized possessions, yes. and we are, you know, committed 100% to our students and our staff, and this mm -hmm. is just a great positive effect that's coming out of it. Barbara and Jen, get to the specifics here as best you can. What is it that's happening inside public charter schools in New Jersey that results in higher academic achievement? Um, a, a few things, number right? One. Um, number one is in-school tutoring, right? What we've noticed is that Schools, you can't expect people to stay after school, come on Saturday, things like that. Those things work. Okay. But with, what scientists have found has worked the best, and North Star is really proving it, mm -hmm. is embedding tutoring during the school day, figuring out your school day so that you are attacking the, the gap that okay. kids have right there in the school day while they're in front of you. So when you say in-school tutoring in your classrooms at, 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 your, at your facility, how many students, how many tutors? I mean, we use the data to target the instruction for our students, so that okay. could vary week to week based on where we see our students and what needs they have in order to fully support them. Okay. There was a lot to chew on there. Let me simplify it even, even further. Not every school can afford to place tutors for students. How do you get around that? 
It's it's not about actually bringing people in. It's okay. using the resources that you have wisely. Mm -hmm. um, at North Star Academy and at schools that we've seen that have great results, right. they do a lot of teacher training. And so if you've got a really well-trained staff, mm -hmm. they can pivot very quickly. And so, you know, for 30 minutes every day at a certain time, everybody right. drops everything and focuses on X or Y or Z, whatever the data is telling them. Mm -hmm. Is it an over oversimplification to say, okay, take what's working in public charter schools and implement it in public schools across the board? That's a good question. Um, and that's, you know, going to be an age old question. Charter schools are now 25 years old in New Jersey or mm -hmm. more than that. And, um, but what we've seen works in great public schools, yes. and it doesn't just have to be charter schools, public schools, district schools. The great ones are ones that are really putting in the resources into teachers and teacher training. Mm -hmm. And so it is possible. These results are possible for okay. all kids in New Jersey. The role of parents, mm -hmm. and you guys put a strong emphasis mm -hmm. on this, is that you're part of this. What yeah. sort of commitment do you and your administrators at your school ask of parents in ensuring the educational success of their sons and daughters. I mean, it's truly a partnership. It takes a village, and we try to embody that day in and day out. We believe in open, honest communication with our families, and we ensure that they have full access to us. They have our cell phone numbers. They can text us at any time with any questions or concerns. Mm -hmm. They visit the school often. If they request a meeting with the school leader, we are there for them. But I'm guessing it's a two-way street, where you say it's not just so much you calling me, it's me asking you mm -hmm. to do certain things with your students. I do think you? When, once kids starting kindergarten we really try to embed this idea of it takes a village with mm -hmm. our families and we start that early on and our families know and they expect the same in return from us right. and that's a two-way street as you mentioned but it's critical to the student success a thousand percent all we'll talk more about that when we come back more on the new jersey department of education's 2023 scores such good news that show academic excellence among public charter schools throughout the garden state still ahead on tiempo a salsa museum in the heart of el barrio memorabilia, music, mementos, more when we come back. Welcome back to Tiempo. The New Jersey Department of Education recently released 2023 statewide assessment scores for all public schools from K through 12 in the Garden State. And the numbers, the data, shows academic excellence for Latino and black students in New Jersey's charter, public charter schools and in New Jersey's largest city, Newark. Charter school students outperformed the statewide average in English language arts. This is news to celebrate. And here celebrating with us, Barbara Martinez. She's the executive director of the New Jersey Children's Foundation in Newark. Jen DeSilva is director of operations at North Star Academy in Newark. Hey, this is so fabulous. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's such a great, so great to have you. We should point out this is Tiempo. What's the demographic breakdown of students throughout New Jersey and then at your school? You first. In, among charter schools in New Jersey, about 85% are black and Latino. In Newark, it goes up a lot higher. Over 95% of the students are black or Latino. Okay. Yep, closer to the 95% mark that at Barbara your, just mentioned. At your Specifically school. at our campus. Do you have teachers and administrators and staff how shall I put this, that reflect the student population? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, North Star has done an yeah. incredible job at that. They have an organizational commitment to ensure that um, the student population mirrors the teacher population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's, I, mean, I, I can guess the answer, but what's the benefit? What's, what's the reason for that? I mean, students get to see themselves reflected in the classroom and mm -hmm. they, you know, they could come always see themselves in what's happening and come back and serve the community as well. Do you, is that happening? A hundred percent. We have lots of alumni that are coming back to teach, to work in operations and beyond. Well, how, how many years has North Star been in operation? So 20... This is a 27 years. Okay. 
So yeah, that's enough to get through mm -hmm. college and school and to come back and, and land a job there. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that there's also a cultural connection there that, that lends itself to better appreciation from the teacher's perspective mm -hmm. if he or she comes from a background that, that celebrates Three Kings Day, Dia de los Muertos, whatever it might be, they can appreciate and understand what's going on there too, as well as family yeah. issues. I, am I over? overthinking that? No, not at all. We have 70% of our teachers that identify as people of color and 80% of our school leaders identify as people of color. And mm -hmm. I think that parents really appreciate seeing the diversity in our schools um, throughout Newark. Does it open doors of communication between parents, say a Latino parent and a Latino teacher? Yeah, absolutely. And, and what, you've, what you hear from these students who are coming back as teachers is like, I know what it felt like to mm -hmm. be here as a child, and I want to offer that to others as well. I know how I felt loved here and cared for mm -hmm. and believed in, and so I want to do this for my community. Does it also make it easier for those teachers and staff to, I wouldn't say recruit, but I can't think of a better word, recruit the parents to be to take an active role in the student's education, helping them with homework, coming to meetings, whatever it is, projects, et cetera. We can't do it alone. It takes, you know, a village and certainly parents influence on what's happening outside of the school hours and mm -hmm. their support in echoing the same message that we have is incredibly important. But it takes a village. Do you need to pitch that? Is it, is it a hard sell or is it easy to convince parents to, to come along? Because I'm guessing in many communities, both parents are working. Mm -hmm. or, or maybe there's only one parent mm -hmm. and he or she is working and getting them to be actively involved in their students' education might be stressful. It sounds like you guys have already got the evidence to show here's why it's essential. The most, the most successful schools have shown families and, and make families feel like they can come in at any time, and it's not just nine to five. And mm -hmm. so, for instance, at North Star, you have a teacher's cell phone. You can call up until nine o'clock. You have right. a question about um, student behavior or homework or something like that, you can call. And so the most effective schools right. let families know that there's an open door policy whenever it works for you, mm -hmm. we're gonna work with you. But it's, it's, it's more than just letting them know, is it, we really need you to be a part of this. I mean, making it crystal clear that it's not just you can call me anytime, it's I'd like you to be involved in the student's success. A hundred percent. We try to echo that right when kids come in in kindergarten mm -hmm. all the way through 12th grade because we can't be successful without the parents' yes. input. Because it's an education not just for the kids, but it's also an education mm -hmm. sometimes for the parents. Mm -hmm. And to get them to be an active, the payoff, the payoff is in the scores. Right? The scores and in all the college acceptances that we're currently seeing. You have kids going to where? Top schools, Duke, Syracuse, Spelman, Howard. You name it. Across the board. Wow. Lots of scholarships fully paid for. And Congratulations it's really to you guys. I mean, this is so fantastic and it's such a joy for us to be able to report the good things that are happening in Newark, that the high scores that the kids are getting there and the future that lies ahead for them. All because of what you're doing. Very rewarding. Absolutely. Way to go. Thank you, guys. Thank Happy you New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. Coming up next on Tiempo, a salsa museum in the heart of El Barrio. Memorabilia, musica, mementos, and so much more. We will talk to the museum founder next. A salsa museum in the heart of El Barrio. The museum sits on the side of a former hardware store, and it has more than 300 pieces of memorabilia like... 
Oh, a guitar used by Hector Lavoe. A tuxedo worn by Tito Puente. The Maracas of Ismael Quintana. Musician, producer, he's got so many hats. Johnny Cruz created the museum with a mission to preserve the legacy of the salsa pioneers. And you know him, all you salseros. Johnny Cruz here with us this morning. Bienvenido, senor. Good to have you. Joe, it's a pleasure. Oh, good to have you here on Tiempo. Take me back. When did you have the idea? When did the epiphany hit your brain that said, you know what? I need to create a museum for salsa. I've been in the business for 45 years. I had Tiffany Recording Studios. I produced a lot of stuff. But you look 40, so how could it? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Uh, so I've been I, in the studio. I had a lot of memorabilia. Yeah. But th it was a hardware store. My father's for 50 years in the building. Okay. So once he passed, I just shut everything in. I created Spanish Harlem Salsa Museum. So that's how, when you initially started with the museum, how many pieces did you have to fill it? I already had a lot of stuff. Did you? Yeah, I, because I've been collecting. I have a collection of music, video, right, and a lot of stuff. Okay, <laughs> but over the years, I guess you've collected more. That's correct. Especially yes. as the museum got out, the word uh, of the museum yes. got out. Um, Salsa has a has a worldwide following. You know this. Oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's South America, it's Asia, it's the Caribbean, of course. Do you see people coming in the museum from all, all oh, corners from of the from world? all over the world. <laughs> Especially from South and Central America. Oh, really? Yeah. Central America. Yeah, Colombia is one of our best uh, right. homes to play. Mm -hmm. And Peru, it's another number one also. We do a lot of playing in Peru. So if you're running the museum, how, how do you get the time to be a producer, to be, to be a musician, to, to well, play your timbales. I, I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you, you keep that Spanish coffee going see, and, and it, it uh, keeps you motoring. Yeah. The hours of the museum, if I want to come by, cuando? Of course, we're open Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays from one to six. Totally free to the public. It's a nonprofit organization mm -hmm. with a network of television, radio, magazine, and recording studio. So you got it down. But I also saw you do guided tours. That's correct, yeah. Of where? Well, we've been traveling, we did Puerto Rico, we did right. Colombia, and we take the, uh, what's it called, El Museo Rodante de la Salsa, the traveling museum, mm -hmm. which I, my mission and vision is to educate new generations in the history of salsa. Through the museum? Through the museum. Okay. Correct. How have you been able to incorporate the latest generation of salsa, you know, salsa players, salsa entertainers, with the mission of preserving the pioneers who started it way back when? It's been pretty good, you know. Um, it's harder in New York, but the young kids here are not too familiar with some certain personalities. Yes, of course. But in Colombia, everybody knows Everybody salsa. knows everybody. Yeah. Peru, they know everybody. All right. You know, I went to a, a music school in Puerto Rico with the exhibition. People didn't know who Tito Puente was. Mm. All right, so I'll throw out, throw out a few names and you, you share with me a quick sure, story. Please. Johnny Pacheco. He's an iconic legend. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest pioneers of this generation of this generation Ruben Blades uh, he's a great one too mm -hmm. he's an iconic singer actor he's yeah. a poet one 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 of one of our favorites here on Tiempo you know oh, he's still. been on the show a few yes. times here and whenever we need him for something he, he shows up and shows amazing, up quickly yes. Tito Rodriguez uh, legendary also yeah yeah you've met most of these Unfortunately, I didn't meet Tito Rodriguez, okay. but uh, the other ones, yes. You had a guitar from, who was it, Hector uh, Lavoe? You know what? So the museum got started, Hector Maisonavi, which is one of the greatest producers of music. Yep. He produced over 6,000 concerts. Whew. So him and Alberto Santiago, the last from the Funny All-Stars All singers, yep. we got together and we put together the museum. 
Did you really? That's yes. fantastic. Mm -hmm. And now there's room for expansion of the museum. Not so much here, but on mm -hmm. the island, right? Well, we're going to be uh, doing another museum in Puerto Rico, in El Pueblo San Germán. All right, I'm going to get the details in a second. We're going to take a quick commercial sure. break. We'll talk about that, where you're going from here. But a salsa museum in El Barrio. If you haven't been, you need to go. More on that museum cuando regresemos. A salsa museum in the heart of El Barrio. Makes sense. The museum sits on the side of a former hardware store. And as we mentioned before, 300 pieces of memorabilia, a guitar used by Hector Lavoe, a tuxedo worn by the great Tito Puente, the maracas of Ismael Quintana, musician, producer, Johnny Cruz. He created the museum and he is on a mission himself to preserve the legacy of the salsa pioneers. Johnny Cruz here with us this morning. What is it the that you would find is the appeal, the universal appeal of salsa. You say people from Colombia, people from Korea, people from South, it's, you know, everywhere. You know, you'd be surprised even in Japan, we're yeah. listening Huge. to salsa, yeah. But, but the question, what is it that makes it so attractive, in your opinion? It's the rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it's you the move. the rhythm, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh -huh. it's, it is intoxicating. It is, you as the percussionist, you know? Yes. The drums that... Uh, Do you still get out and play? Um, I only do concerts. Okay. As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready. Uh, I'm producing Al Alberto Santiago's 65th anniversary album. Mm -hmm. It's going to be with 10 singers, violins, cellos. Educate the viewers. Al Alberto Santiago is? Al Alberto Santiago is the last of the Mojicas from uh, Fania Osas. Yes. Plus, he's in the World Book of Guinness Records as the most chorus and Latin records. So the guys we mentioned earlier, Ruben Blaze, Johnny Pacheco, he played with them. Larry yeah. Harlow, all yeah, those guys. All of them played with them. All of them yeah. played with him. They were part of the same band. You um, have this museum, but you were just telling me during the commercial break that the Smithsonian Museum reached out to you. That's correct. What I'm for? I'm going to be part of the Latin division at the Smithsonian in about a year and a half or two from now in Washington, D.C. So they found you, called you, came to visit you. That's correct. And they saw the museum. Well, they were amazed at what they saw. Okay. Uh, their words, we've never seen a collection this intense. You have everything. Mm -hmm. And what will happen next? You're going to curate a, a certain section, some pieces that will go yes. to Washington? Uh, yes, correct. But I have more, much more than 300. Right. So, plus I'm opening another museum in the old, second oldest pond of Puerto Rico. Cuando? It's about another year. Okay. We just got a landmark building, 250-year-old building. It used to be the mayor's house. In San Germán? In San Germán. Wow. Which I just came back like two months ago. Uh, the House of Representatives gave me an award for my, uh, my trajectoria. Mm -hmm. Plus, um, I was invited with Benicio del Toro and Johnny Cruz, the invite of guests for the 450 anniversary of San Germán. So are you already starting to envision it in your brain, what it's going to look like, how big it's going to be? Oh, the it's square huge, foot? yeah. Yes. Do you have an architect or someone to help you out in terms of layout, I, design? I have a lot of people behind <laughs> me. <laughs> I know a guy. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, uh, El Gran Combo. Tell me a story, because my dad used to play those records endlessly at home. It's, it's funny. Gran Combo is like my family. Yeah? Yeah, my compadre plays the timbales. Uh, Rafael Itiel is like a father to me. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you look at their history, they've been around for 60, 60 years. years. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's you know. amazing. And the old man's 96 years old. Wow. Rafael Itiel. Yeah. But he's still doing it. Mm -hmm. he's still doing it. Yeah. Your TV and production and radio network, what are you working on? Uh, the Johnny Crusoe Network. Yeah. It's a television show for 26 years on M&M Public Broadcasting Station. Yep. 
Uh, so matter of fact, Eric Adam was my first in, invite guest on my 25th. You, you didn't anniversary. get him to salsa on your show, did you? So, <laughs> <laughs> but I got him to commit to the museum. Yes, you uh -huh. did. Okay. Plus, I have a Salsa Mania, which is the number one salsa radio show on internet and national through FM stations throughout the world. With Rubio Bori, Johnny Cruz, Los Embajadores de la Salsa. So Johnny Cruz is busy, is what you're saying. Also, International Salsa Magazine, which yeah. uh, produces a lot of information all over the world. Yes. Un placer. Gracias placer por todo. Mío. Before we wrap up today, a small shop in Brooklyn offers a portal, if you will, into Mexican culture. The brick-and-mortar gift shop Mexico in My Pocket sells artisan goods. I consider myself a storyteller more than a store owner. I'm such a passionate person that when people come into our gift shop here in Brooklyn, New York, I try to tell them the stories of where all of the products are made, who made them, and why they're important to the culture. It's not just selling an item. Our mission is to showcase a bigger picture of what Mexico truly is. My name is Luisa Navarro, and I am the founder of Mexico In My Pocket. When I was a very little girl, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, in a very Mexican home. And I only spoke Spanish, so when I went to school, it was really hard for me to make friends. But I also noticed little kids would say things about Mexicans. And my grandparents and my mom were like, no, 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 being Mexican is so cool, and here's why. But as I grew older, I realized that the representation of us in the media wasn't how I wanted us to be seen. So I started a blog to really get people to understand how amazing being Mexican is. And so that's how Mexico in My Pocket started. Thanks once again for spending part of your Sunday with us. I'm Joe Torres. We'll see you next time for another edition of Tiempo.